Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we voraciously read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are a way to re-experience a film that you probably just watched if you bothered to pick up this book at all. Novelizations are objects we buy for our children to hopefully preoccupy them for a little bit, right? I mean, he's seven. He's a slow reader. This buys me a few hours of peace at least. It has to. Novelizations are a way to more or less have the exact same experience as in the theater, but with one or two penis innuendos thrown in for flavor. <laughs> we are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. The Regrets movie is a 1998 animated comedy film and survival thriller directed by Igor Kovalyov and Norton Vergian. It is based on the Nickelodeon television show Regrets, which ran from 1991 to 2002 and spawned the spin-off series Regrets All Grown Up and the 2021 revival Regrets. Same title. The film is the first in an Airsats trilogy, followed by Regrets in Paris and the Wild Thornberries crossover Regrets Go Wild. The Regrets movie follows Tommy Pickles, a contented infant whose world is turned upside down when his mother gives birth to a second baby boy, Dill Pickles. Dill, the absolute embodiment of newborn id and vulnerability, immediately changes the dynamic of the entire Pickles household. When Tommy and his crew of loyal friends accidentally become lost in the wilderness, Tommy must come to terms with being a role model for his kid brother. The novelization of the Regrets movie was written by Kathy East Dabowski and Mark Dabowski, based on a screenplay by David M. Weiss and J. David Stem. It was published by Pocket Books and First Minstrel Books Printing. Who are Mark and Kathy East Budowski? Mark and Kathy East Budowski are writers living in Florida. They are legally wed to one another. Kathy has written many novelizations for animated films, such as Toy Story, Flubber, Hercules, and Mulan. Mark has less novelization credits, but wrote for television series such as Sabrina the Teenage Witch and The Secret World of Alex Mack. The Rugrats movie novelization, it could be argued, is the perfect representation of the marriage of an author and a seasoned Nickelodeon man. Mark has also written many picture books for children, including Super Fast Boats, 2005, Super Fast Cars, 2005, Superfast Planes, 2005, Superfast Trains, 2005, Superfast Motorcycles, 2006, and Titanic, the Disaster that Shocked the World, 2008. Something happened to him in 2007. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a logical leap here by the publisher that I just adore, which is... <laughs> they think the value of Mark Dubowski as the author of Superfast Blank is that he writes about transport well. <laughs> so then the Titanic book comes along and they're like, we have the guy. <laughs> uh, of course, I, I just listed those for comedic effect. He also wrote Discovery in the Cave. So this didn't really work for the joke. Uh, so, Rugrats, general thoughts on the novelization of the Rugrats movie, which I think it's good for the listeners to know we did all read about two weeks ago. Yes. 
And I have never seen this movie to my knowledge. So that's the perspective I'm coming from. On the front of my book, I don't know if you guys have the same copy or edition, but it says an adventure for anyone who's ever worn diapers. Mm-hmm. Great tagline. And tag as a line. person who I yes. assume I wore diapers, I'm not sure this one was for me. You know, like that's a bold claim and I don't think it applies to everyone. I, I feel like the more accurate uh, tagline would be uh, an adventure for anyone who can still remember wearing diapers. <laughs> Yes, I, I think that is probably true. I absolutely adored this as a kid, I will say. Yeah? Yeah. The I film mean, or the show in general? The film. I, I had a relationship with the show, which I think a lot of kids did, which is that I didn't love it or I didn't identify as someone who loved it, but I loved it in the sense that I would watch it any time it was ever on. As a kid, you just sit there and, and you, you turn to... I was allowed to watch three channels, right? Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. I feel like my parents didn't really know what was going on on Cartoon Network or else it would have been two channels. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would, you know, turn on the TV and watch whatever Nickelodeon or Disney had to offer up. And so consequently had seen, I'm sure, 110 Rugrats episodes. Um but I went to see this movie. I would have been seven years old and I was absolutely enthralled by it. And if you had asked me before I read this what it was about, I would say that it was about Tommy Pickles as the hero, Okie Dokie Jones, <laughs> going on archaeological missions. I, I would have told you it was a wall to wall parody of Indiana Jones. That's all I remembered from it. Uh, I, after going to see the movie, demanded that my mother buy me this book. I, I lost the copy at some point. I had to get this off thrift books, but I never read it. It just felt good, like the weight of it in my hand. Um, and a, a few days later, my mother and I were hanging out and I demanded that since I was seven and couldn't type, she would write my Rugrats fanfic for me. And so she sat at her work laptop. I, I specifically remember it was a, a black IBM from 1998. And she would just, I was dictating. And everything I was dictating was further Okie Dokie Jones adventures. <laughs> Even though that is 3% of the entire book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I definitely had the VHS of this film. A big clamshell. But my biggest memory of this was the soundtrack. I had the soundtrack album. I remember playing the Witch Doctor cover interpretation parody on repeat and Angelica's version of One Way or Another. These were on my Walkman all the time at the time. And I only revisited the movie... In preparation for this podcast, which I really actually think helped in reading the book because I would have had a lot more Mandela effect. What did this happen? <laughs> Is this really what the movie was? If I had not rewatched the film first. It definitely. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Hannah. Oh, sorry. As no, a person great. who has not seen the movie, um, something about, I mean, there's stuff. What One of. Andrew, I think it was your letterbox review that was like the real life implications of this are horrific, mm -hmm. <laughs> which 
reading the book, not watching the movie, not having like a visual reference point. I felt that so strongly. (laughs) There were so many points when I was like, what are these parents doing? What are these children doing? They will die. This is so dangerous. How old are they? I don't understand. I'm having a hard time with that to an extent. Like, I just like could not grasp some of the things in this book because like the experience of reading is so different. I could not get caught up in the story in the same way. I was like too concerned for like the health and safety of babies and how like negligent their parents had been. It basically doesn't resemble the television show at all. The television show is from what I recall uh, is about how these, these babies have, a secret society that they're able to communicate with each other and their parents don't understand that their communications are actually pretty complex. And so they get into all of these narratives that, you know, within the house, you know, uh, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, we got to, I'm just making one off the up off the top of my head, but it'll, it'll be something like, Oh, we think grandpa's hair is magic. So we have to steal it while he's sleeping. That feels like it could be a Rugrats episode. <laughs> then the movie says what if they were put in mortal peril (laughs) and and with no abstraction so no this is what they think's going on this is what's actually going on in reality they think they are in mortal peril in the woods and boy howdy they really are and uh, just one other thing to add here given the plot of this movie it's wild that this isn't the one where the Rugrats go wild. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like there should be. And knowing that there's like a Wild Thornberries crossover, a show I also watch, it feels like it would make sense to me to be like, there's a bunch of loose babies in the woods and the animals are like, hey, Eliza, there's a bunch of loose babies in the woods. And she's like, let's team up to help the loose babies. They're babies. <laughs> like they are infants. Like Tommy is one, he's one year old. So is that correct? I, I believe so. So the a big plot point in this movie, as we said in the in the summary, is that Tommy is used to being an only child, and then his younger brother is born. But Tommy, by design, is uh, he's verbal, but he he doesn't speak in a cogent way. He's that young that he can't communicate with his parents. So he's still yeah, one year old, and he gets a zero-year-old brother. Um, the idea that he's even established a status quo by that age is wild. Well, you know how time when you're young feels longer? Mm-hmm. He's had a whole life in one year. <laughs> and then it will... He's had back. six seasons of life in one year. <laughs> That's true, yeah. It, it's... it's it's oh, you, There could be an argument made that Rugrats is about like how this guy remembers his baby years, right? Hmm. Because there's no way this much actually happened to him. Probably not. But I also feel like there, I am vaguely remembering episodes where they're like outdoors and it's really hot. And they're like, how are we ever going to survive this horrible (laughs) desert? We've been trapped out here for hours, for days. And it's like, yeah, but probably it was half an hour because you're babies. (laughs) Yeah, Your parents yeah. leave you in the sun for longer than that, you know? And also it but was like their literally, understanding is different. Also, it was literally 22 minutes plus commercial. Right. 
And I, so I do feel like in this book, that's totally like, as you're saying, like out the window where I'm like, I think these kids are lost in the woods for the better part of a day. Mm-hmm. And that is horrifying. Yeah. That's too long. It's like they experience it as so long. It is long. This movie does not allow you as a viewer to relax because you are convinced that they're in danger. Whether they are or not, this movie convinces you in a way that the television show doesn't. Hannah, Mm -hmm. having not seen the film, would you have guessed that it was, in fact, a musical? No. It's a musical? It's got musical numbers. It's got five or six songs, uh, which are only alluded to vaguely in this book. There Uh, is a part where they do like a marching chant, and I was like, okay. But no, I would never have guessed that it had musical numbers. Yes. Could you uh, flip to page 27 if you have your book in front of you? I believe it's the beginning of chapter three. You are correct. I can confirm. Uh, So yes, this illustration where they're in the baby room in the hospital, it appears the babies are spraying milk in the air. Uh, In the film, that is actually a musical number with a cavalcade of famous, famous musicians providing the voices of these babies peeing into the air and a rainbow appears as they pee. I mean, I will watch this movie, I think having read <laughs> the book, but I don't know if I'm going to like it. <laughs> I This is just me reading into your tone, but Hannah, did you suspect it was pee already from the illustration? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I see now that I'm looking at it a little closer that they're, they're little hands holding little bottles. I see that now. Yes. But at first glance, and I read this as quickly as I could. <laughs> I And also the expression on the larger babies that are just like, ugh. <laughs> um, Things have yeah, gone I, south. Yeah, I, I, I did think, well, what can babies do? He... Yeah, it's kind of shocking that they thought it was good enough to print on film, but putting it in the novelization was a step too far. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about Rugrats just as sort of a phenomenon. So we're all of comparable age. You know, we've been about around for about three decades. And do you remember the what were the Nickelodeon Awards called? The Teen Choice? Is oh, that the Kids Choice Awards. Kids Choice. Kids choice. What's Teen? I had choice? many a birthday party themed around those. Uh, the the Kids Choice Awards, uh, in my memory, had Rugrats win Best Show year after year after year. Which, on the one hand, you think, okay, that's Nickelodeon show, so kind of makes sense that they'd want to promote it over and over again. Maybe it's an inside job. On the other hand, you think, wouldn't they want to spread the love around and say, hey, actually watch this other thing, you know, Wild Thornberries instead, which leads me to believe that people truly were voting for Rugrats again and again and again, and that it was this massive sensation amongst children. And my question Hmm. is, why is it that children enjoyed this show so much when children famously hate to be thought of or compared to babies. I mean, I'm trying to think of like, because I watched the TV show, I think, Andrew, like you did, sort of like it was on and I would happily watch it, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't devoted to it. I'm trying to think like, what did I like about it? (laughs) And I don't, I don't know that I have like an answer that, you know, I just like, yeah, it's fun. 
but like, what about it? I don't know. The, there was a, the, a very fetch quest uh, aspect to the TV show in my memory. And now, again, I, I remember the movie being all Okie Dokie Jones, so I might be wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I think the appeal to me as a child was Tommy Pickles, even if his idea of what's going on is completely wrong, he very quickly goes, I need that thing. And it's around dad's neck and I need to get it from him. And so mm-hmm. it was as a child, very immediate, you know, MacGuffins mm-hmm. everywhere, if you will. And I think it may have even been one of those shows where there were two or three stories within a 22 minute arc. So those, it, even within that, it was like a six minute story about getting that thing from dad's neck. You think that's true? So the immediacy was even more so. It's funny. I, I don't even really have an answer to your brilliant question because I, I watch it now. I watch the film. I read the book. And I see what appeals to me as an adult because there are so many jokes that made it both from the movie into the novel because it is quite faithful that are very adult. I mean, the entire relationship between the Pickles brothers, the older Pickles brothers, is like jokes that I'm only getting now in three decades of life. I would not have got even under the age of 18. So I don't know what it appealed to me then. It may have just been what was on the TV and what was appropriate, but I can certainly see the appeal to a full family audience, like why a parent would enjoy watching this movie or reading this book with their kid. I did not remember that the relationship between the two brothers, as depicted in the film, is so vicious, so deeply <laughs> unkind and unloving. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be, oh, these two are... You know, they've got fun banter and they put each other down. But the brother of the dad, I'm forgetting everyone's name. Stu Pickles. I believe his name is Drew. Drew Pickles. Pickles. Drew Pickles. uh, He is absolutely brutal to Stu, like putting down the fact that he's unemployed, that none of his inventions work, kind of suggesting at one point that his wife should be married to someone else. Like it's it's dark. (laughs) It is dark. Given that Stu, I think, owns his own home, like, is feeding his family. Like, it's not like he, I, he is unemployed, I guess, and he's not succeeding as an inventor. But, like, his fa- they're fa- he's not failing his family. It seems like, a, I agree, it's mean. It's a little harsh, given that it's okay. And even, I mean, the other brother, I think because of his wife, they're the more successful family. Stu Pickles is the one who has their father, Lou Pickles, living with him, I believe. I, I think that's the implication. So he's taken on a lot of responsibility. He's not failing, as his brother would suggest. Do you guys know if Dee Dee has a job? That's her name, right? The wife? Yes. And what her job is. Like, is she supporting the family? No. <laughs> <laughs> Should we, I, 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 we haven't done this in the previous episodes we've recorded, but given that this is a bone with almost no meat on it <laughs> and a, a novelization that none of us seems to really care for. And, and frankly, I'm having a little trouble remembering because it like fell out of my head as quickly as it went in. Should we maybe like walk through the plot of this book? Absolutely. Sure. And yeah. can we, when we reach a character who, Maybe a celebrity guest. Can we try to see if <laughs> Hannah could, you know, guess who voices these people in the film? Because there are some 
top tier Oscar winners in this cast. So I'll need Good for Nickelodeon. I'll need some uh, assistance with this. I've got the the plot description as well as the book in front of me. Um, we we open with something that will just forever be burned into my mind, which is Okie Dokie Jones, which is uh, the <laughs> Tommy Pickles version of I think Han Solo. Um, <laughs> the Tommy Pickles version of of Indiana Jones is leading all of his. Uh, Who's showing a baby Indiana Jones? Honestly. Oh, yeah, you think this is canonical baby Indiana Jones? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, clearly they Tommy has gotten this idea from somewhere. And, like, are these parents being like, this baby won't remember the trauma and adventure of Indiana Jones? And so they're, like, watching movies with their baby. And then Tommy Pickles is like, that's dope. <laughs> like... Do you think Would you show your baby Indiana Jones? I, I I guess if they were as young as Tommy, yes, because I would assume they wouldn't <laughs> be understanding Fair. anything that was happening. Um, Sorry, I raised the point. It's not worth it. Is it possible that no? <laughs> You're right. No, I think that's a that's a great point. You're saying that it's like it's this bleed over where he's actually taking in more than his parents think that he is. Am I understanding what you're saying? I think, I mean, that's how I would read these babies in general Mm -hmm. is they have more understanding than their parents think they do. Even though there is a confusing, uh, through line of like, they can't understand what their parents are saying, but they kind of can. Right. Yeah. They, I always, a little unclear. (laughs) I always thought they could understand the words, but not the meaning. You know, because Tommy and we'll get to it, but Tommy hears responsibility, hears it wrong and just has no idea what that noun means. So he assumes it's a it's a thing, not a mm-hmm. not a thought. Right. Right. Um, OK, so we start out before with, we go too far, though, Andrew. Oh, and we are. I do have pretty a pretty far <laughs> <laughs> because so this Indiana Jones homage Reminds me, uh, if you've seen it, the Weird Al film, UHF, also begins with an Indiana Jones homage. And I wonder how many films that are based off either a personality or a show are like, that's how we hook them in. We do a writer's parody right at the top, and then we subvert it at some point. There's got to be more than two, but I digress. Continue, Andrew. I think think that that is part and parcel. I apologize. I'm just texting my girlfriend to see what the cat's knocked over. Um, I I think that is part and parcel of just the larger narrative device of let's do an in medias res opening that just isn't, has no consequence, right? Like writers want to have, uh, how did we get here? What the hell is going on opening, but then not have to deal with Tommy Pickles actually being an archeologist. (laughs) <laughs> it's true and i don't even know if in the series they address before the film that she's pregnant this could is this the first time dd pickles is revealed to be having a second child so that we readers or audience in the theater would be like oh this is a surprise i did not see this coming yes i don't think this was telegraphed at all in the tv show from my memory i i, I do remember that of course, Dill becomes a main character on the show. Um, okay, so just jumping into the plot, just let's get through the Okie Dokie Jones part. Um, 
basically, Tommy Pickles is this adventurer, uh, Okie Dokie Jones, and he's leading his group of babies to get some sort of treasure uh, in uh, a cave temple of some sort. He retrieves the treasure and begins to escape when Indiana Jones style they don't even come up with a different trap. They're just like, let's do the Indiana Jones thing. A giant boulder starts to roll at them. Uh, and it is at this point that reality is peeled back and we see that, oh, in fact, the treasure that they were going after was a banana split and the boulder coming at them insultingly. <laughs> the boulder <laughs> is Tommy's mother's pregnant stomach. <laughs> and I, I, I just am so thankful that Dee Dee is not uh, an Okie Dokie Jones viewer. I think she would find that really <laughs> hurtful. So as we open up into the reality of the situation, we yeah. learn that Dee Dee is pregnant uh, and we learn Tommy's thoughts on Dee Dee being pregnant. His thoughts essentially boil down to he's excited they're absolutely positive that it's going to be a baby girl because uh, frequent I, I don't remember if he ever appears on the show, but frequently mentioned psychiatrist, Dr. Lipschitz or baby expert. He's like a Dr. Spock stand in. Right. Right. I, I believe they mention his Ph.D. is in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Lipschitz thing i i cannot believe that nickelodeon's children's show had a joke about how the doctor who's always wrong has shit coming out of his mouth like that's <laughs> that's the joke being made i believe um so dr lipschitz uh every time he speaks it's it's uh it's shit um has convinced Dee, Dee that she's having a baby girl and there's going to be this big baby shower and and tommy in classic baby fashion is not sure where babies come from so he's looking around trying to figure out oh is my my uh baby sister coming to this baby shower as a uh as a guest um what do you what do you guys think of this baby shower scene you you know <laughs> part of me conflates it with uh the things in the movie, because there's obviously a musical number within the baby shower, oh. uh, which is still referenced that Susie is singing a song and Angelica joins in. A baby is a gift from a bob leads to one of those very funny rug ratisms, you know, instead of above a bob. Isn't it weird looking that the for thing a bob. that is funny about the Rugrats is also the thing that's funny about the Sopranos? <laughs> like people would tune in to hear their malapropisms and it's like the same joke in Rugrats. Yeah, there must have been a lot of carryover in those writers' rooms. It's the same yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think it it sort of sets the tone well in terms of humor that works for adults without with also having sort of the Rugrats adventure that we know. You know what you described earlier, saying you know they they need their fetch quest and they need it now, is essentially this baby shower, mm -hmm. and. Later in the story, we see a much larger quest, but we're sort of getting in the first couple minutes. This is what you come to Rugrats for. We're delivering. Enjoy. So I totally agree with you. It's it's almost like they have they want to pull off the same type of plot, but they have way more time to do it. So they stretch it the heck out. Um, mm -hmm. 
in the baby shower scene, the thing that stuck out to me is why are they gifted a goat? You know, cruelty towards Eastern Europe, <laughs> I think. Um, Stereotyping. Yeah, for the listener who... There's I an mean, answer for that, isn't it? God help you, listener, if you did read this book. But uh, the Dee Dee's parents uh, gift the family a goat as a baby shower gift. Uh, a moment that I think I missed in the book, and then when the goat continued to factor in, I was so confused as to why <laughs> it was there. And eventually I got to the point where I thought, I must have missed the point where the goat came out of the woods that they've been in for an hour. <laughs> Does the goat play a major role in the movie? Because I feel like after the baby shower in the book, it's not really a big deal. Well, the goat's just around a lot, as I recall. <laughs> I, I feel like it's out of the way pretty early, though, because it's what ends up going to Japan. The goat the goes to Japan? Yeah, instead of putting the reptar wagon in the box, we're jumping ahead here. It's the goat in the box when it's shipped away and they go to, I don't think this happens in the novel. I forget. They go to air traffic control and they call the plane and they say, there's no babies here, but there's a goat. Okay. The goat does not get on the plane in the book because I thought it was an empty crate. And then there is one of my dog ears in this book is because when they search the plane, the pilot is like, I turned this plane upside down and there's no babies. Then he turns the plane physically right side up is a joke in this book. And I was like, real world implications. <laughs> horrific. You can't do that with passengers and cargo. That's so scary and dangerous. That's not a bad joke, but it does feel like a joke from Top Secret inserted into the Rugrats <laughs> movie. Like I could handle that joke in Top Secret in Airplane. I cannot handle the joke here. It would I was be like, no, I hate this. It would be really good in Airplane. I can't figure out why, though. <laughs> here it feels like... Here that joke feels like it's honestly tying us into the movie Castaway. And that's the plane that's going to go down. <laughs> oh, reckless piloting. I would not... It would not be a bridge too far in the Rugrats, the movie novelization, were a plane to crash in the water. No, not... I mean, it would be a bridge too far just based on the TV show Rugrats, but anything goes in the hellscape that is this film. Um, so uh, concurrent to the events of the baby shower, which as we touched on are, uh, what is, what is the, the singing girl's name again? I haven't watched Rugrats in so Susie. long. Susie. Susie She's is barely in this story. What a bummer. I like Susie. Really, really a bummer. She, um, she sings a song and, and Angelica becomes, jealous and, and starts to sing along with her to sort of steal her thunder concurrent to those events um stew pickles is showing off his invention to drew pickles and the invention yeah. is a reptar wagon uh that he's going to submit to oh hannah do you have a passage you'd like to read i have a passage very <laughs> brief but it's it stood out to me stew had named his invention after the famous movie star <laughs> And dinosaur. <laughs> Reptar. Re Reptar. That's it. I just like famous movie star, a real dinosaur. Reptar. Who's <laughs> like Godzilla. So Reptar, after he does the Reptar movies, is going to like get other parts is the implication. Yeah, he's going to do a romantic drama. <laughs> he's going to play a single father, you know. Um, 
Okay, so Stu is showing Drew Pickles his Reptar wagon, um, which essentially is a baby carriage that mm-hmm. can hold many babies at once. And, and don't forget, turns into a boat and shoots fire. Yes, I, <laughs> yes, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it has, it has surprising abilities that save the babies a few times. Um, it also has a built-in ability to breathe fire. Oh, you said that. You said that. Which is not safe for babies. That comes no, up it, right it, away, and I believe is what kicks off the Stu Drew fight. Um, I mean, the thing with Stu is that he may be talented, but he's lacking some, like, sense, right? Like, he, he's, he's, like, capable of invention, but doesn't have the right kind of ideas. <laughs> Definitely. And there was something deeply sad to me about the idea that his big idea was someone else's IP. <laughs> his big well, toy. It's a contest, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a contest, but what if my big invention was I made a Mario hat, but anyone can wear it? It's, there's something <laughs> kind of sad about it. <laughs> a little bit. After struggling to come up with your own invention for so long, the one that finally, like, you win the contest, you make some money, is not even yours. Right. If I was a, (laughs) if I was what I am, an office worker who loved Mario, and then I made an adjustable (laughs) Mario hat, that's kind of cool. If my whole purpose in life is inventing, and that's my big idea, that's very upsetting. (laughs) What's what's also upsetting, and I wish I had an inflation calculator in front of me, is the prize that's going to save his family prospects is five hundred dollars. That's not enough. No. So I don't know why he's so insistent that this is going to get. Are there other cat? Like, is this going to get him a job? It just seems like he's excited for five hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels as if he has not made a single dollar of money in ages. <laughs> I will say, like, I think that Stu is really pathetic. He's like a really sad character. And I am in general perhaps more interested in the adults than the baby. And I think mm-hmm. that's a part of my perspective as an adult that I'm like, what would it? what is it like to have kids? What is it to have a controlling wife or whatever, you know? whatever's going on with Phil and Lil's parents. I don't know. And Phil and Lil's parents you know? seem kind of content, don't they? Oh, yeah, they seem perfectly happily married. Um, she's just like a real butch lady, and he's not, and they're very happy together, and that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're just like interesting family dynamics, and I'm like, I'd like to see an episode where we just like hang out with them for a while. <laughs> like, what's going on at, you know, like... Angelica's mom's office place. She seems like a quote unquote girl boss, you know, she's a, <laughs> she's a lean in type of lady. The, the uh, yes. Okay. Angelica's mom is very <laughs> cool in that way, especially in 1998. She's like absolutely some sort of, you know, uh, corporate executive and she's killing it. The only thing that tastes a bad about it is that, there's some implication to my eye that that is why Angelica is so starving for attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like the parenting advice or whatever that Rugrats is giving is 
as a mother, maybe you shouldn't be an executive. You need to spend more time at home with your kids. Um, I mean, in general, this book is like, stop neglecting your kids. Pay attention to all of your kids. They'll run away. <laughs> um, Though it also feels like yeah. they have to get Angelica's parents working so that she can always be at the Pickles house. So uh, while we're on this conversation about Reptar, uh, Hannah, do you have any ideas who may have been the celebrity voice to voice the Reptar wagon? There's a celeb. No, I mean, the concept that there's a voice at all that isn't just like a voice. Uh, I mean, you basically beyond. nailed well, what I it sounds imagine. like. <laughs> I mean, I remember the TV show that Reptar is like a Reptar. And honestly, now that I'm thinking about Rugrats so much, there's a real chance that I saw like a Rugrats live on stage thing <laughs> once as a child. And I remember not liking it. I haven't thought about that in perhaps 20 years. So the voice of the Reptar Wagon, which you did so brilliantly, uh, was the one, the only, the iconic Buster Rhymes. That feels like a waste of his talents. <laughs> This is Wasted Talents, the movie. <laughs> um, so, uh, bu- 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 bu, just thinking about plot here. What else happens at the baby shower? Um, we get our introduction to... Dee Dee goes into labor. Oh, yeah, Dee Dee goes into labor, but there's a whole business involving the, the presents. Right. They think the yeah. baby's inside the presents, so they, so they tear them all apart. All and is there a comeuppance for that, or does Dee Dee just go into labor? No. The, I mean, she goes into labor, and everybody leaves the party. I think even the goat might go to the yeah. hospital. <laughs> There's also a part where Angelica says, your parents will stop loving you, and they'll forget all about oh. you, because she's mean. <laughs> and she says that Tommy is not their first son, but rather <laughs> their first oh, yes. son was a baby named Paul, who <laughs> once Tommy was... Which is such a normal human name. I mean, it's you have putting. to give Angelica props. The, the Paul touch <laughs> is brilliant. So Paul, of course, was their first son, who once Tommy was born, was so upset by Tommy lo- or by losing the limelight that Paul... Essentially, does she say lived in a closet? She says that he's like ignored or something. I thought they put him they outside put him in the outside, rain and he turned into Spike. And he turns into Spike, the into dog. dog. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those, one of those scenes am... where you're like, it's uh, their kids. Angelica can't be that bad. And then you read that and you go, this is a psychopath in the making. <laughs> I was about to say, I understand that Angelica is the villain always and forever. I always liked her. <laughs> I think she's hilarious. There, there's a, a line in here that, that describes her doll, Cynthia, where it says like, oh, no, it wasn't even in here. It was like on the Wikipedia page. I was reading, you know, Cynthia is a Barbie-esque doll with, with hair ripped out. And I, and I thought, I just assumed that was her hairdo. The, the spike the spike to one side, the spike up, and the spike to the other side. I had never even considered that her hair was damaged. That's because you never played with dolls as a child. I, I they end assume. up like that? If you are a certain type of child, but, yes. But um, Angelica has such adoration for the doll. That's what confuses me. 
Yeah, I can't speak to that. <laughs> I mean, she must have had it since she was a baby. Right. Yeah, I And so guess. now it's like a precious heirloom that has had some wear and tear from being given to a baby. I would also say that from my experience of being a child with very short hair, I would cut all my doll's hair and it would often end up kind of like that. Because huh. <laughs> as a child with scissors, it doesn't go very well. You know, and then my mom was always like, oh, Hannah. And doll hair sticks up when it's too short. It really doesn't lay. I'm sorry, you you said as a child with scissors, it doesn't grow very well? Well, kids cannot be trusted to cut anything Uh with scissors reasonably or evenly. I just want to make sure you're aware that the hair on a doll shouldn't be growing at all. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. But it's not human hair. It doesn't lay like human hair. It doesn't behave like human hair. So as a child, you're like, well, I will cut her hair that is down to her waist, and I will cut it up to her shoulders, which on a doll, like, sticks out immediately Interesting. into, like, a Roseanne, Rosanna dance. So you think shape. that maybe Angelica did it intentionally, saw the consequences, and convinced herself, this is what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. And committed. She's a, she's a girl with commitment. She That's... does it. And said, like... She's my fashion doll, and I made her even more fashionable. That is certainly (laughs) true. Um, Okay, so basically, uh, Dee Dee goes into labor at the party, which leads the entire Mm -hmm. story to the hospital. Uh, I could honestly handle somebody else taking over here, as I feel like the hospital section is completely (laughs) gone from my mind. Oh, I mean, I'm not sure if this made it into the novelization, but... It's the Lipschitz Hospital, basically. And (laughs) in the movie, we get a lot of great sight gags that there's like a water berth and they're literally in scuba gear underwater. And there's like an old country room like that was (laughs) so funny. When I watched the movie, I was laughing (laughs) unironically. It was yes that we oh, we could do a water berth. That's the funniest one because it's a real thing. And then they show the room that's completely submerged. And a woman... uh, So the babies have no idea where babies come from. But neither do the directors. Because (laughs) the woman in the water berth... I understand it's like a G-rated movie. But she's in a full-body wetsuit. Giving birth. (laughs) That baby's gonna suffocate and drown immediately. (laughs) I really wonder how many parents were like, this is a perfect opportunity to have the conversation with my young children about babies, where they come from, what it means when we expand our family. Then they went to see this movie with their kids and were like, ah, shit, <laughs> we can't have any of those conversations. I feel like it would be the opposite thing where you go and you're, you're not to say you're completely wrong, but... Um... I do think it goes both ways. You go to see the movie and then your kid's like, um, yeah. I, I would think taking my kid to a movie. I, I think about this often when I have a child someday, am I, how am I going to still see movies? And part of it is that I'm going to end up going to every, you know, PG rated action movie or PG 13 rated action movie. Um, I feel like if I had a kid, I'd think Rugrats, that's one where nothing no big topics will come up. And then almost immediately the movie goes, where do babies come from? Let's interrogate that. 
And maybe it's a baby store? It is essentially a baby store. I mean, have you seen these medical bills? (laughs) Well, you say that, but Tommy literally is carrying around, I believe, gelt. Yes! Oh, I forgot about the gelt. (laughs) To give to whoever, the Bob or the doctor, who's giving him this kid. He's like, I got to pay for my, my sibling with chocolate money. I do. There is a scene in the book where the baby is here and they're like, come meet your baby brother. And he hands the gold to the doctor and the doctor's like, that's yeah. cute. Yeah. Well, it's a, <laughs> like, it's a huge plot that? point in the book. So we can basically, <laughs> because later he's uh, Phil and Lil are intent on getting him his money back. Um, <laughs> so we must go right from the hospital to essentially the reptar wagon fiasco, right? Yes. Well, there, I just think there's a chapter where they're like, boy, Dylan's oh, a you're pain so in the ass, right. huh? I even put it in my... He cries a I, lot. I even put it in that intro, and I still forgot about it. That, yes, there's <laughs> a long period of the book where Dill is just terrible to be around because he's a newborn baby. And it's suggested way more terrible than Tommy was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's crying he's... all the time, and the parents hate it, too. They haven't slept at all. Yeah. And they're worn out and they're not giving Tommy the attention that he needs. And yet they're still also seemingly babysitting the entire neighborhood. They don't have jobs. <laughs> maybe, maybe that <laughs> is their income source. <laughs> maybe it is. I hope so. I mean, if I had like my best friends in the world who didn't have jobs and were not bringing in money and I asked them to watch my kids every day... I would pay them. Mm-hmm. Like that's the right thing. No, to do. absolutely. I I uh, even when friends watch my animals and they're like, "Oh, you don't have to pay me." I do, and it sounds like I'm bragging about myself. But the reason I do it is because if I watch their animals, they're paying me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you might be if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, you might be thinking so far, okay. It's a baby movie about babies dealing with a new baby. This all seems pretty par for the course. This is really where the novelization and film take a sharp turn. So after however long Dill has been alive, probably a month, this is terrible month of of nobody being able to sleep in the house. It's finally the big day comes where Stu is going to ship the reptar wagon off to Japan to be a part of this competition. And he leaves it in the care of his loving father, who is uh, very old. So I'm going to assume on top of just fatigue, he straight up has narcolepsy. (laughs) Because anything, and I mean anything, pain, excitement, anything, will put the man to sleep. (laughs) And, oh, I love the detail where I'll get to it. So (laughs) um, what is the name of the grandfather, Andrew? You said Lou Pickles. Lou Lou Pickles, Pickles, of course. Uh, Can you also, as a side note, really fast, can you imagine the scandal in that family when Stu named his son Tommy? (laughs) 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 They ran out of rhyming names and he was like, my wife and I decided on Tommy. Oh, and I don't oh, think they I don't think they ran out, did they? 
they i mean i don't think that's the justification it's hard to come up with another one ne- though, now that i'm trying <laughs> um so anyway lou pickles is watching for the delivery guy he inevitably falls asleep the babies get in the reptar wagon to what end to return dill to return dill to the hop hopsicle, the hopsicle. i believe is what it's called and- uh, essentially, they end up accidentally kicking themselves out the door and rolling down the street. And according, depending on whether you read the book or saw the movie, either an empty box or the goat is taken to Japan. <laughs> um, the joke that I love is when Dee uh, Dee is angry about the children disappearing, which is understandable. And she says... You trusted your dad to watch them. He slept through Pearl Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens from there? They roll into the street. And through a a series of car crashes and tricycle crashes. And I believe they may end up, and this is explained just as poorly in the book as it was in the film. They end up in a mattress factory. They end up in a mattress no, truck. No, no, Hannah, Andrew is no? right. And you, you only read the book, so you are at a disadvantage. Yeah. But if we, I don't know if any of us can find this page, but you, I understand why you think that it's just a mattress. Hut. I found the page, the, 61 in at the, the bottom. Book, They're on the street. How could they in possibly? In the book, this sequence of them going through a mattress factory, which is, I mean, 20 seconds long in the movie. Like, it's long. In the book, it's just this throwaway mention. And of course, they went through a whole mattress factory. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay. Next, it zipped across the street, plowed through a mattress factory, which I think my brain said, well, that doesn't make any sense. So that can't, it's, that can't it's mean anything. It's this wild act of narrative condensing. It's it's like we turned the plane upside down and then we turned it You know what it's it like? Is, too. Like, it's that level of thing where I was like, well, that's a joke. <laughs> that didn't happen. Couldn't have the, it's, happened. It's um, it's as if you were watching like a seven-year drama, like Mad Men, and <laughs> at one point in one episode, Don Draper was like, "Yeah, I got married and divorced just like last Tuesday." I mean, things happen. It's it's just too big of a thing to mention offhand. <laughs> Plowed through a match factory and disappeared into the back of a delivery truck, which is also full of mattresses because it's. If you follow on to the next page, it actually gives more information yeah. about what the truck says than any of what the things that happened on, in the mattress way. factory. Uh, 61 into 62. Yeah. Because the next page starts with, the good news was the truck said Joe's mattress store, and it was full of mattresses. At least the babies had crashed into something soft. The bad news was the truck also said free delivery worldwide. So we know more about this truck and who owns it and where it delivers than we knew about any of the misadventures in the factory. That's crazy that there's a misadventure in a factory. That's, I couldn't, I can't believe that. This was the point in the book when I thought, okay, at least they're going out of their way to make sure that the babies are clearly yes. safe. <laughs> that we as readers feel that the babies are safe. That eventually stops. Uh, eventually, the parents do realize that the babies are gone. Uh, Stu initially thinks, oh, yeah. the... <clears throat> reptar wagon was taken because it's gone uh but then notices that his children are also gone and everyone goes into high alert um 
what follows is a hilarious passage. I mean, when I was reading the book, I was I was laughing so hard I was sweating. Um, where <laughs> Stu is driving and freaking out about where the babies are, but the mattress truck is right in front of him. And I mean, <laughs> they're so these close. Dubowskis, they've got a hold on irony. <laughs> That stuff used to piss me off so much as a kid, though. When I watched uh, An American Tale uh, as a kid, and there's the part where Fievel, like, walks o- over, like, a, a, a an overpass, and his parents go through the underpass. As a six-year-old, I was going, they're right there! They're right there! Like, it just made me, I was pulling my hair out. <laughs> oh, man. Such is the rich tapestry of yeah, life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So in, in, at some point during this, Angelica joins the pursuit because the babies have taken Cynthia with them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Dill has, has her, I believe. Stolen and Cynthia. the book has been so reverential to the movie that I assumed truly that there would be a block of text on some page that would say, Angelica started singing, one way or another. Like, I was looking for it. <laughs> Every time you mention a song, I remember that this is a musical for the first it's, time. Oh, we've and skipped over away. several musical numbers in this discussion already. It's a Keep musical waiting. in the way La La Land is a musical. There's a couple songs and then it forgets. And it's bad? <laughs> and it's kind of bad, yeah. Wow. Hannah, I actually you really think this might be about La La Hannah, you really Land. got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah suck it passing and paul <laughs> that's a no I, I know we're not like a film talk podcast but that's a director where i loved <laughs> whiplash so much and i i think i'll just never connect with him again like everything he's everything he's done since then it's just not for me i didn't see whiplash then i saw la la land and i stood up and was like we all hated that right <laughs> to which the, the audience went nope we liked it and i had to be like huh well, you're wrong. Then I saw First Man and was like, ah, shit, this is good. It's furious. I was really in the wrong mood to see First Man. I, I'm ready to own that. I was like on a first date. <laughs> not the right place. Not the right move. <laughs> I didn't research it at all. I, I walked in going, oh, I guess Ryan Gosling is going to be playing like a fictional spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, that movie made me feel so weird and sad and, like, stuff. But if I had been on a first date with the love of my life, I would have been like, I don't want to see you ever again. I'm, <laughs> I'm too sad. Um, I mean, that first date I went on, we're still together. Well. I made that um, up. That's not true. <laughs> see, now, all this confused talk, now I'm imagining the La La Land producer saying, Rugrats, you guys won Best Picture. <laughs> No, this is not a joke. Rugrats, get up here. It's been 20 years, but you earned it. <laughs> um, did Have you guys seen either of the, the sequels, In Paris or, or Go Wild? I definitely saw In Paris, and I know that Bruce Willis voices Spike in the Wild Thornberries one. Interesting. The Wild Thornberries one sort of intrigues me the most because I, I want to know what Eliza's relationship to the babies is. True, because she's probably supposed to be like 10 or 12, I feel like. It feels like she should also not be able to understand them. 
But she can speak to animals, and aren't babies kind of like little animals? Oh, <laughs> hot takes. <laughs> I don't believe that. I love children. <laughs> but that, I mean, I am most curious about that. I also remember really liking the Wild Thornberries as a show. No, no. Like, I, I liked it. Hannah, I don't mean to out your politics here, but you, you did uh, tell us once that you believe that life begins at seven. <laughs> <laughs> and that children should be seen and not heard and should always go to boarding school absolutely yeah. <laughs> children are not people until they are 17 and there's a middle period where they're alive but are they <laughs> so help me out guys where does the plot <laughs> go from here that gets them into the woods uh they crash yeah i believe Stu might cause the truck to crash or something by going around it oh yes Stu is trying to pass on like a hairpin turn and yeah. it causes the dumbbell. he's really not a defensive driver um <laughs> i used the, uh, the term defensive driver uh, at lunch the other day and and my friend completely misunderstood it and he went that's when you're like a raging asshole right <laughs> and i was like no why would you think that and he said because it's how people who are super defensive drive <laughs> and he believed it it was very funny it makes sense to me <laughs> before we get too far into their adventures in the woods we must of course address the monkeys i was about oh to say. the parallel plot <laughs> yeah andrew why which don't... has one scene in the book and then suddenly there's a shit ton of monkeys in the woods no that's how it is in the film as well yes yeah, so there's a traveling circus which I believe we first see in the film on TV that there's some traveling circus with monkeys run by two Russian fellows and the monkeys hijack the train when the Russians step off it for some coffee. You're, you're moving and they're now too fast here. The Russians stop for coffee and cannot decide which of them will get the coffee. <laughs> I believe the argument is something along the lines of I'm really good at getting coffee. No, I'm really good at getting coffee. And then there is a comedic smash cut to them both going to the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Genuine laughter over here. It's good. I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's it's crazy I forgot jokes like that. Uh, because there's just so much plot racing at me that it's hard to really keep take it all in. Uh but yeah, so these monkeys are now on their train. Uh, because the two oafish Russians who were too busy getting coffee together let their train go. And I believe they eventually crash it. I don't know if we see the crash, but it is crashed at some point because the babies will come upon it later. Yes. It, we And the monkeys escape. We only later. see <laughs> the monkeys hijack it and then the babies will later find the crash train. Yeah, exactly. There, was a, there wasn't a budget to show the crash. <laughs> and even parallel to this we also have drama going on with the families now the police are involved there's a sleazy reporter yeah. oh what's the uh, sleazy reporter's name that guy's great the sleazy reporter's name is let me pull this up rex pester, pester. <laughs> and hannah if you were to venture a guess who voices rex pester um i'm trying to think to like 1998 who would be good here he also was the lead on a Nickelodeon show, but he is a famous person. Oh, um, oh, is it the host of Family Double Dare? <laughs> it is not uh, Mark Summers. It is Tim ah. Curry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nigel Thornberry himself. Okay. 
Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So anyway, the babies. I should. I. I. I'm loving the conversation. Let me change the tone of what I just said. So, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the babies are now off in the woods. They come across these monkeys, and they quickly discover that the monkeys are attracted to dills. Uh, Baby food, baby for- formula, which is Ger- Gerber, which is like banana flavored. Um, mm-hmm. And Tommy has a, a crisis moment. I think we've all been there where <laughs> Dill needs what to be fed or something or to be watched. And Tommy just wants to go play with those monkeys. <laughs> and it's really a crystallization of all the issues he's been having with Dill. I mean, Tommy can't be the Tommy that we know when this <laughs> dill guy's around, you know? Uh, yep. yep. And then his friends are like, yo, ditch that lame-ass infant. His, oh, there are several like, scenes of saying ditch that infant. I mean, Mostly it's Phil insane and Lil. how much Phil and Lil are like, that baby should die in the woods. Yeah, if Phil and Lil, I was saying to him as I was reading, I was like, what are you guys doing? This isn't like somebody dating your best friend. You don't have to like ruin their life, you know? Um, right. Obviously. And I feel like Chucky goes along with it way too easily. Like Chucky's always sort of like, I don't want to be the leader. I'm a scaredy cat, but he's not even being impartial. You know, Tommy's his best friend, but he's like, no, we should get rid of this baby. Like to hell with this baby. Yeah. Chucky's feeling very neglected. Whereas Phil and Lil seem to be like malicious, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but Chucky's thinking, oh, this baby is, is taking the love and the affection that I usually get from Tommy. Um, is, so is this part with the monkeys, is this before or after the, the river fiasco? I feel like it's before and with, right? Yeah. I think it's in the middle. They're like trying to escape the monkeys and they end up in the river. At which point they discover the reptar wagon is a boat, like a motor boat. Oh yes. Um, The tail becomes a propeller. Right. And they nearly, very nearly go over a waterfall until they discover that they can reverse the boat. And Dill throws the switch to still throw them over the waterfall. Dill. Which is is Tommy's big turning point, because after that, we get the scene that I cannot believe is in this movie. (laughs) Where Tommy, sensing that the monkeys are nearby, takes the like Gerber baby food or whatever, the Lipschitz meal, and he (laughs) begins to pour it onto his brother in like a sacrificial way leaving him in the pouring rain e- no less leaving him essentially for the monkeys to come get until he has a, a change of heart but that sequence there's no need for that in this movie why are we doing that why well, i understand tommy's on a journey but why are we having him consider essentially murder i did have this moment Thinking about the wild thornberries, thinking if Dill was stolen by these babies, would he grow up to be that feral child (laughs) that the the wild thornberries adopt? Is this how these things come together? I love that. And then Donnie, right? Yes. Voiced by Flea. Oh, right. Exactly. Incredible. Famously. (laughs) Um, Right. And then it becomes like uh, his... The uh, like Rugrats Go Wild is is Donnie's 
uh, revenge. It's Tommy. Tommy's past <laughs> comes back to haunt him. And Tommy's like, what happened? You got old. I stayed the same age. It's like s- science fiction. <laughs> I would be interested in that movie. So around this time in the novel, we're introduced to two park rangers, Ranger yes. Frank and Ranger Margaret. I'm curious, what talent do you think <laughs> they got at Nickelodeon to voice these? I will I'm say there's an Oscar winner here. Good at guessing this. Is one of them Whoopi Goldberg? Yes. Oh, you would be correct. Which one? Oh, my God. Which really? One? Well, the, the lady one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I got that You right. nailed that. <laughs> so I'll give you a bit of a hint, Hannah. Which okay. SNL cast member do you think voiced Ranger Frank? Daryl Hammond. Hey, great guess. Totally great wrong. Guess. Thank you. <laughs> Chris Kattan. I feel like Much you closer. are actually going to get it if you keep guessing. Okay. Um, Kattan is closer. Yeah. Kattan is closer. So more that energy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Can I have one more clue? Uh, let me think. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not just listing SNL cast members for 10 minutes. Ooh, this is tough. How do you give a clue for this? Early 90s, very dry. Was a recurring character on a Netflix show over the last five years? Oh, you know, that guy <laughs> who's not David Spade. Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of David Spade. I'm not right. thinking of David Spade. No, it is oh, David Spade. That, w- that is who well, it is. Who are you thinking of? Not who I was of? thinking of. Okay, so he decides not to kill Dill Pickles. Um, I was thinking of Dana Carvey. Oh, sure. Well, you accidentally got the right answer. (laughs) All right. I'm fascinated. Hannah, it's time for a comeuppance, since we did this to me on Jurassic Park. Okay. Which characters are these? (laughs) (laughs) I watched the TV show. I know who's who. Oh, yep. I'm sorry to do this to you. Prove it. Who's that? Uh. <laughs> that's chucky that is chucky damn she's good I, chucky is also like maybe the best designed character in my opinion like i think rugrats has like kind of hideous animation i don't like the style but chucky who just has like hair and big glasses and like that cute t-shirt untied sneakers oh, love yeah. that like okay him. i've got one no, I, i've got I, one I, more I'm... for you <laughs> okay, right here the dog yeah. It's Spike the dog. It's we all know Paul, Spike. His you name is idiot. Paul. <laughs> I was about to get there. You, Andrew. Did. So, Hannah, you bring up a good point that Chucky is well designed. Though I am disturbed whenever he takes off his glasses because his eyes are literally pins, just <laughs> yes. little black dots. I mean, one of my favorite I mean, we things all in have that TV friend, shows right? where most people have like white round eyes is the one person who has little pin backs. Yes. Like, I have been watching King of the Hill for the past, like, three three months. Uh-huh. And, like, most people on that show have, like, little eyes. And then, like, Hank's dad just has, like, these horrifying black <laughs> <laughs> And I, Every single time I'm like, ha, 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 Or, like, Boomhauer just has, like, little tiny eyes. And I'm like, this is the this is the height of animation. I, that, that stuff really makes me think, like, what are... What is going on psychologically with me? What does that do to me? What does that make me? Because it doesn't make me think, oh, scary eyes, bad person. It makes me think like (laughs) scary eyes. I like that guy. (laughs) So I'm realizing there are two plot points to 
enlighten those who have not read the book or seen the movie that we have not addressed yet. Mm-hmm. One is the presence of a wolf in the woods. Yeah. I don't even is remember that. Is there not that. enough danger? Because <laughs> Spike fights the wolf. That's scary. That dog almost dies. He falls off a cliff. I fully don't remember it's this. It's scarring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read the book and watched the movie. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't about. believe well, how Andrew, much of this book I do remember. I'm shocked. Andrew, do you remember the lizard that they're trying to go visit from the bedtime story? Yes, yeah. So the kids are, again, with one of their malapropisms, Tommy's told of this wizard who can grant a wish. And he hears it as lizard, and they think that the lizard lives in the woods. And what we find out is the park ranger's hut. Right. Okay. But then there's a wolf. The babies save themselves. There is also a wolf. I mean, this all culminates. We're we're saying a bunch of nonsense that's quite disturbing. It all culminates on a bridge. The the babies are all together at this point. They're on a bridge over the water. The scary wolf is there. And Spike, as you mentioned, Hannah, fights the wolf. I mean, God bless that dog slash boy. <laughs> and it it seems that Paul slash Spike is killed by the wolf. He and the wolf fall into the water. And I don't remember what what is Tommy intending to wish. I think first he's intending that Dill would go away, then that they could go home. But in this moment, he chooses to say, no, we don't care as one-year-old children if we ever go home again. We just want our dog back. <laughs> but it works. They wish their dog back to life, I guess. I mean, I guess he just is fine, but it does. I mean, I was like, oh, God, that dog is dead. That's really heavy for a kid's movie. And then he just, like, comes back up. And it's like, I'm good. A, a real... Yeah. Well, let, let me say a real marriage, not like the one the Dubowskis have. <laughs> uh, a, a marriage comprised of people who aren't cowards would would they would have ended this book with, you know, him falling and him coming back out as like a seven year old boy <laughs> and being reborn. And then and then and Stu the, and Dee Dee show and Didi up are like... and they're like, Paul. We thought you ran away. We got that dog. And like, you know, they're crying and everything. And A hard turn into full on magical realism. Absolutely. Uh. And then the sequel is that the uh, Stu and Dee Dee like AI uh, Tommy in the woods. <laughs> Just leave him out there to die. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it has a happy ending. It's just. It's just strange because the the plot of the brothers reconciling of Tommy, like accepting Dill into his life seems to crescendo a, a, a while before the story ends to my memory. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, Tommy is gifted the responsibility mm-hmm. and then is just like, well, I love my stupid baby brother and that's where I'm at. And his friends are like, well, we don't. And he's like, well too bad yeah you know like that conflict is over and then the conflict between tommy and his friends begins then there's a bunch of fucking monkey nonsense and uh by the end of the book i guess they're all like well bill's okay 
Yeah. When Dill has done nothing to earn He's that. just been around I mean, long enough, life. and they're like, okay, well, I almost just died, so I guess this annoying kid <laughs> is preferable to, you know, shedding my mortal coil. Yeah. <laughs> I think we must also note that Stu Pickles hang glides to the rescue. <laughs> oh, of course. In a way, like the picture in, in the book of his hang glider thing is like a full on robot you, you, bicycle power. So in the movie, the the um, robot is hanging from the ceiling of his shop. It's an invention right. that he made and, and sort of had like failed a long time ago. And he's able to use it to find the babies. The, the one joke I really love is uh, at one point, the robot falls onto Lou Pickles, the dad in a horrific way that really suggests that he has been like crushed to death and <laughs> Stu and drew run to his aid and he is just sleeping under <laughs> the wreckage. <laughs> I mean, it got me. You, it's got me. you know what? This is not my favorite book ever, believe it or not. And it's not my favorite movie ever, but it did make me laugh like three times. I think this conversation, like reading the book, I was like, I never need to see this movie ever. Right. Having this conversation, I might watch it tonight. And it's already 9 p.m. Oh, man. I mean, Hannah, would it help your conversation knowing the monkeys are voiced by Devo? Why? <laughs> because, well, actually, Mark Mothersbaugh did all the music for Rugrats. So he clearly well, he had the in with all these did, music. Did peeps. the monkeys sing a little song? <laughs> Yes, they sing a new version of Witch Doctor. Because <laughs> oh. they go, ooh, ee, like a monkey. So, perfect. Oh. Uh, the Yeah, I, I gotta go. I need. To, I have a movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie does not make use, really, of the theme song very much. No. Which is surprising, because it's, like, iconic. Not even in the credits? Probably right so. at the end. Yeah, I think maybe that's the only time. I mean, they had to make room for a baby musical number featuring the vocal talents of <clears throat> Lenny Kravitz, Iggy Pop, Lisa Loeb, Patti Smith, Jacob Dylan, Beck, and the entirety of the B-52s. So where were they going to put the theme song, I ask you, Andrew? <laughs> uh, you know what? They made the right choice. <laughs> Remind me, is this post credit scene in the book? Post credits? I didn't watch it, and I'm just seeing it in the the Wikipedia summary. And I'm I. It says in a post credit scene, Boris's goat rams the reptar wagon with an asleep Grandpa Lua on board it, causing the wagon to roll down the street, which presumably starts the search once more. No, that's not in the book. No, the the book ends with the uh, the be return of Okie Dokie Jones, this time with the help of Dill, they are able to get the banana split. And the last line of the book is, everyone cheered. Everyone cheered. Um, I certainly did when I closed this book. Uh, okay, so friends, would you recommend this book to a fan of Rugrats? Would you recommend <laughs> this book to someone who had never seen Rugrats, the movie? <laughs> Or would you not recommend this book at all? Hannah, why don't you start us off? I would recommend this book to a child who liked Rugrats and had seen the movie and was obsessed with the show. 
I think if I knew a child who was like, I think the Rugrats are okay, I'd be like, don't bother. <laughs> this kid has to freaking love these guys <laughs> to want to read this. And I think any adult would be baffled, horrified, and bored by mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Somehow, all at once. So, uh, no, I really wouldn't recommend it outside of, are you seven years old and do you love the Rugrats? Which these days cannot be many seven-year-olds. <laughs> Let this be so I- a punitive lesson to members of this podcast who were overwhelmed by me suggesting several like 400 500 page books in a row we can do you could have to read more junior novels exactly we can do shorties <laughs> but this is the type of stuff that's inside them andrew what do you, who would you recommend this to oh you know i'd probably say like hannah no one Especially because I think so much of the charm of Rugrats is the visual and the delivery of the voice cast. Mm -hmm. I would say watch the movie again. I certainly enjoyed the absurdity and intensity of seeing this movie again, which I always remember being a kind of crazy film. But the book adds nothing so much. It's the screenplay is almost word for word. All the jokes are there. There's a little bit of interiority, but the book's not really adding anything that the movie isn't already giving you. Mm hmm. I am going to watch the movie. Please do. I, I would basically not recommend this to anyone. I, I think <laughs> I think, Hannah, you should watch the movie because it's an oddity, but it is it, it sort of fails at even being what we liked about Rugrats, the TV show. I mean, Rugrats, mm-hmm. the TV show is fun and carefree and silly in a way that this movie is not interested in being at all. And I think the book only gives you what's in the movie and less honestly mm-hmm. um it sounds like i missed out on musical numbers really good visual gags like it does feel like the movie is the better version here 100 percent. i mm-hmm. i gave the movie two and a half stars on letterbox i think this is like a one star book <laughs> <laughs> i do i have to say like sometimes reading a novelization and i say this because i am two-thirds of the way through wild wild west <laughs> in it in prep like reading Wild Wild West, I cannot wait to rewatch that movie. <laughs> it's getting me hyped up. I'm feeling it. This guy, I was like, movie? What? <laughs> Never. This, <laughs> Not keen. This isn't a movie. This is something someone wrote on a napkin once that was published. <laughs> right. I was like, nothing in this makes me want to hunt down the movie. Nothing in this brought me any level of pleasure, I'm afraid to say. When I think of, uh, and just sort of close this out with like an anecdote, when I think of what's good about Rugrats, the TV show, I I remember in second grade that we had this substitute teacher who just was not interested in putting in any effort. And, you know, she had a classroom full of 27-year-olds. And so she was very much a curmudgeon, and she didn't like when kids make made noise and she made the terrible decision to put on an episode of Rugrats to just so she didn't have to teach us. But then every time we exploded with laughter, she'd go, stop that, stop that. I think because she didn't want other classrooms to hear. Right. And so I just remember this show as being unadulterated joy for a child. I remember the specific episode had to do with for whatever reason, they thought that they needed to use a wrench to twist their dad's nipple. <laughs> I remember that Yeah, one. and throughout the whole episode, this sub is going, quiet down, quiet down, every time something funny happens. And once they got to the nipple, and they twisted it with the wrench, and Stu Pickles 
woke up and was screaming his fool head off. <laughs> the 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 sub got up in front of us. We were exploding with laughter. She turned the TV off and she said, "You disappoint me." <laughs> <laughs> and that's so that'll always to me be what Rugrats is is this thing that is just joy. It's like crack to children, you know? And for the book and the movie to decide, I said it as a joke in the intro, but it's not a joke. This is a survival thriller. And for it to decide to go that route, it just feels like they don't understand at all what people like about this franchise. So no recommendations to anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Zero, zero out of three. Um, yeah. Well, to our fans, should you exist, thank you for listening to another episode of Authorized. We will be back next week with Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And forget that you heard Hannah say Wild Wild West four (laughs) times. That's not what you're getting. Sorry that I'm sorry that I kept mentioning it. I'm thinking about it a lot. That's what Hannah just does in her free time. It has nothing to do with us. You'll never see Honestly, an episode about that. That's not off brand for me. Uh, but yes, thank you for listening and uh, we will see you next week. Yeah.